Every week when we gather for worship, one of the things we do is to say the Lord's Prayer. Usually after our pastoral prayers today, we'll do it as part of our communion liturgy. This is the prayer Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him how to pray. And every week we say that line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Eugene Peterson translates this line, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray this, we are admitting the power of temptation in our lives. But let's be clear what kind of temptation we're talking about. It's not so much temptation to the small things, to choose the hamburger over the salad, to be snarky instead of kind, to be selfish rather than generous. Those are all real temptations, to be sure. But this prayer is speaking to the kind of temptation Jesus faced at the beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, but before he performs his first miracle or recruits his first follower or preaches his first sermon. At Jesus' baptism, something amazing happens. The heavens open up and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down and lands on him. Then a voice from heaven announces, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. But after that, that spirit that looked like a peace-loving dove hooks her claws into Jesus and doesn't just lead him into temptation. The spirit flings him into the wilderness where his only companion is the devil. Our English word, devil, comes from a Greek word which means to throw between. In other words, to split apart. This is not a bad description of temptation itself, temptation as anything that threatens to split us apart from God, anything that throws a wrench in our relationship with the one who loves us, We heard something like this in the first reading today with the serpent coming in between the relationship between the human beings and God. For Jesus, this temptation comes after he spends 40 days fasting alone in the desert. We can imagine he is hungry, hot, and tired when the devil goes to work on him, trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and the God who claimed him at baptism, the devil puts before Jesus these three tests. Hungry? Turn this stone into bread. Think God loves you? Let's see if God sends angels to save you and protect you. Want to be all-powerful? Worship me and have authority over all the world. Three tests, but if we look at them closely, we discover they all present Jesus with a similar choice. The choice between relying on his own power, power he uniquely possesses as God incarnate, 
or the choice to claim his baptismal identity as a human being created in God's image, the choice to entrust his life and his calling into God's hands. To each of these tests, Jesus responds by quoting scripture, not as proof texts for God's existence or God's care, but rather scripture as an affirmation of Jesus' true identity. This kind of temptation that Jesus experienced in this story comes to each one of us at some point, but it can come in different ways. In some cases, we choose it for ourselves, although not many of us might go for 40 days in the desert without eating. We might choose during the 40 days of Lent to to read the Bible daily or to learn a new spiritual discipline to take on something new. But other times, and maybe even more often, these tests are not of our own choosing. They are visited upon us either through unexpected grief or suffering, illness or addiction, or injustice caused by the prejudices of the world. In most prisons, the worst punishment you can receive is to be sent to the shoe, the solitary housing unit, sometimes also known as solitary confinement. I recently heard interviews with prison inmates who had each spent years in the shoe. One of them had spent 26 years there. And they made it clear that such isolation takes a terrible toll. In the shoe, inmates can lose their grip on reality, their ability to communicate clearly any sense of dignity. The true intent of isolation, one man said, is to belittle you, demean you, dehumanize you, to make you less a person than what you are. And yet, all of these men who spent years in solitary confinement described something else, too, something that was surely an unintended consequence of this punishment. They described how their time in solitary confinement taught them things about themselves they can't imagine learning any other way. What they really cared about, what was most important, and the true value of human connection. In other words, this punishment intended to dehumanize them actually led them to a deeper sense of their humanity. Now, I want to be clear that I am not advocating for solitary confinement as an effective form of punishment or spiritual discipline, but the stories these men told of enduring isolation for days or months or years at a time reminds us that isolation and loneliness can reveal important things about who we are. At every baptism, we say some version of what God said to Jesus at his baptism, God loves you, God claims you, there's nothing you can do to drive God away. Your primary identity, the one that matters more than anything else in the world, is that you are God's beloved. 
Notice what we do not say when we baptize someone is, now that you're baptized, life is going to be so much easier for you than it was before. You'll never be tempted to do anything that goes against your God-given identity, and you will never have to suffer. We don't say that because we know it isn't true. Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil because he knows we will be tempted, and he knows that evil exists. We will all face impossible decisions and unexpected suffering, and when we do, it's easy to think the promises of our baptism are not true. When we endure such moments of testing, when we are physically or spiritually lonely or hungry or tired, when we are sick or grieving, when we feel like we have lost control and nothing makes sense, we are tempted to believe that the promises of God, the promises of baptism are no longer true. And yet it is in these most difficult seasons of our lives that inner strengths we didn't know we possessed are often revealed. It is this very testing that can reveal the most important thing about what it means to be human. Some years ago, Lily and Daniel went through a vocational crisis. She'd had a successful run as a nationally recognized preacher and author, but suddenly things were no longer clear. As she tried to figure out what God was calling her to next, she decided she needed to go to Thailand. Her friends discouraged her, her family questioned her, but this only made her more determined. She connected with an acquaintance who had a house on a remote beach you could only access by boat and arranged her trip. Her son came with her for the first week and they had a blast. But then he went home, leaving Lillian alone in this paradise, alone with God, alone with her thoughts and doubts and questions, alone with an infection from a cut in her leg that seemed to be growing worse by the day. Just a few days into the second week, Lillian knew she had made a huge mistake. She called the airline to book a flight home immediately, but they couldn't get her on a plane for another week. She was stuck in a place where she knew no one, she didn't speak the language, and she needed medical care. With no option but to figure it out, she did something she usually avoided at all costs— She asked for help. She found people who could care for her. She told her story. She let others help her. It was a transformative experience. And in the end, she realized she had been right. Thailand would be a place that revealed some truths that had eluded her. But rather than resolving her vocational uncertainty, Thailand, for Lillian, a place of testing and temptation, revealed to her the value of vulnerability, of seeking and accepting help from strangers, of meeting God in others. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been meeting with our elders-elect, who will step into leadership on our session in May. 
In nearly every conversation, one of the topics of discussion has been what we anticipate the church will face during their three years in leadership. We all agree that First Presbyterian has incredible resources, dedicated and faithful members who are willing to serve, a talented and collaborative staff, healthy and robust programming, but the conversation almost always touched on the fact that the church universal in the country and even around the world is in a kind of wilderness season, a season of testing and temptation. Many churches are facing steeply declining attendance and giving and yet have large buildings to maintain. For many churches, the Old ways of doing church aren't working as well as they used to. Sunday mornings are no longer protected time that's set apart. They are now just as overscheduled as the rest of the week or weekend, especially for families and young people. The desire and attention span for worship and preaching isn't quite what it used to be. You are the exception, wonderfully so. Like Jesus' time in the wilderness, we who are the church are in this season of facing the depth of our need. We are hungry and tired and unsure what the future will look like. And yet this season offers the church an incredible opportunity for the true identity of the church to be revealed The Chinese character for crisis is made up of two characters. One means danger, and the other means opportunity. Although the crisis the larger church is facing can feel like a season of danger, some churches will close, some people will drift away. It is also an incredible opportunity to return to the reason that the church was formed in the first place which was to show the world the boundary-breaking, life-giving, transforming love of God that we have seen and experienced in Jesus Christ. One thing that is different about our season of testing, whether it is the church's testing or individual testing, one thing that's different about ours than Jesus' time in the wilderness is that he was all alone. But God has given us the gift of one another. The gift of church is the gift of community, this place where we can admit that we can't endure the challenges of our lives alone. We need each other, not because we're all the same, but because what we have in common is more important than any of our differences. This is true of the season of testing that the church is in, but it's true for us as individuals too. We are not tested alone. God has given us the gift of each other. So if it is a test that we're facing, the good news is it is the very best kind. Open book! And we get to work together. We get to pool our knowledge and experience as we search for answers, as we affirm again the truth 
that temptation reveals. We are God's beloved. We are made in God's image. We are claimed and called and empowered to receive God's love and to share it with one another and with the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.